Well, good to see you. St. Peter's Fireside, glad to be here. Um, just let me add a word of welcome. My name's Lloyd, I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to have you with us, whether you're here regularly or here as a guest. And we're finishing our series on liturgy here this morning. And we've been looking at how uh, the liturgy that we have in our service, um, some of you are familiar with, some of you won't be, but just to give a rationale for it and to help us to see in what ways it is forming us and shaping us. Um, I've known people in later life who can recite things from the liturgy as uh, their mind is, is disintegrating in many other ways and their memories are going, but they still remember um, the, the collect for purity, the prayer of humble access. And uh, today we're going to be looking at um, the end of our liturgy, um, the sense that we are dismissed, that we are um, blessed and sent out into the world. And so I'm going to combine that with Pentecost, and I'm also going to combine that with Psalm 67, so wish me luck. <laughs> um, but what we're going to do is look at Psalm 67 and kind of draw stuff from there. And we're going to look at three points. God's blessing uh, sensed by his people. God's blessing seen in his people. And God's blessing sent through his people. Okay? So blessing sensed, blessing seen, and blessing sent. So why don't I pray for us, and then we'll begin. Lord God, thank you that you speak, that you haven't left us in the dark, guessing at what you're like, hoping, wondering, how are you towards us? How do you see us? How do you interact with us? But thank you that you have revealed yourself in your Son, and we ask that by your spirit, you'd help us to see the ways in which you love us, that you bless us, and that you have your face shine upon us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've had the psalm read uh, this morning. It's a beautiful little psalm. It's a meditation on blessing that draws uh, from several places in the past, in the Old Testament, but also actually looks forward uh, to the New Testament and what's going on there. It's a meditation on blessing. Perhaps after uh, the service um, in the tabernacle or um, the, the temple, Aaron was commissioned to pray, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and turn his face towards you and give you his peace. That's in Numbers 6. And so God says, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. And so he's telling the priests who are at the end of the service to bless them, to say that they are kept, that God is gracious to them, that his face is turned towards them and they were to go out from there and to live and work for him. But for us, blessing is a slightly strange word, isn't it? Um, the examples that we use blessing are... Um, Achoo, right? Oh, bless you. Um, the other times are, I don't know if this is a common um, Canadian thing, but in the UK, when someone does something, you feel a bit sorry for them, they tried hard, you go, oh, bless them. I don't know if you do that here. And so there's this kind of strange sense that we have with blessing that um, 
it's a bit pitiful, it's a bit, um, it's a bit fuzzy, it's a little bit wet. But actually, in terms of the blessing that God gives to us, it originates from this word uh, benediction. Or, or, or actually, I should go around. Uh, th- the word blessing comes from the word benediction, which um, in, is, is, means good word, right? And so in the Genesis creation story, six times it's written, and God saw that it was good. There's something good about that. Blessing is, is good. God's pronouncement of good is not an evaluation. He doesn't make stuff and think, oh, that was really good, and surprise himself, because he is good, right? And so when he says this is good, it's a, it's a blessing, it's an enjoyment, it's a delight in it. He creates it, and then he declares that it's good, that he enjoys it, that, that this creation is good. But it's not just delight. It also mirrors um, something of, of what the ancient fathers used to do at the end of their lives. Um, expressing a wish for prosperity and well-being to his children. At the end, he would bless his children, right? But it wouldn't be just a wish for their good. He would be enacting something. He'd be saying, this land belongs to you, this part belongs to you, and this is yours. And so there's a sense in which that blessing um, is not just delight, but it's also um, provision. It's an enaction of good in people's lives. And so when God blesses us, it signifies his delight in us. His longing for our uh, goodness, our prosperity, and his commitment for our good. But it's more than just a wish. It's a promise fortified by divine omnipotence. He has the power to do it. He doesn't just merely hope for good in our life. He actively commits to doing that and achieving that in our lives. He is present in that way. Therefore, when we read, the Lord bless you, it's a powerful assurance. It isn't a passive wish, but an active commitment of God to do good in your life. And so he blesses his people, the Israelites. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. But Moses would have known when he was telling Aaron Uh, This is how you're to to send the people out after the service, that that we weren't supposed to see God's face and live. And so he knew that, that, that something of grace was happening, that the Lord needs to be gracious as he blesses us, as he makes his face to shine upon us, because um, it's not that he um, chooses to be angry or distant, um, but that sin separates us from his face. And so Moses would have known that something of grace was needed um, as blessing came to allow uh, that face to shine. This blessing is sensed by the people. This grace is to be sensed by God's people, not just known in the head, but, but sensed in the heart. And it's described as this, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. I can see lots of faces and it's good. Some of them are shining, some of them are not that's okay. Some of you have really um, warm uh, and encouraging default faces, right? So even though you're not actually listening, you're like this. And for any speaker up here, it's wonderful. Others of you are listening, and you've, you've told me that you are, but others you're just like this. And that's your default face, and that's okay. 
But when I'm up here, I can see the faces that are, are engaged that are not. Faces are important, aren't they? You can be in a party with someone and not really have seen them because you were in the same presence as them, but, but their face wasn't turned towards you. There's a, an experiment that has had lots of impact on, on psychology, on, on child development, and all these sort of things. Um, it's the, the still face experiment. A psychological study conducted by Edward, Edward Tronick. And in this experiment, we witness an infant's reaction when a mother, after interacting normally, suddenly adopts a still face. So she engages with the kid, has normal time with them, and then just for 30 seconds, I believe, just goes still. And even though the kid is trying to get her attention, um, trying to engage with her, uh, trying to kind of pull on her, her arm or her leg, or to cry, um, to get attention somehow, the, mo the mother just has a still face. And um, the, the, the experiment was showing how the importance of, of attachment, of engaged um, parents, because when the kid uh, tries to re-engage but, but can't, there's confusion, there's anxiety, there's sadness as the mother remains unresponsive. And it highlights the child's um, innate need for an engaged, responsive parent, a need that's crucial uh, for healthy emotional development. So we contrast that, right? The still face. Uh, some see God like that as a, as a faceless power. Perhaps as a hidden God. A stern face, perhaps. The idea anticipates that we will be met with silence and lack of engagement when we come to God. And that would leave us, I think, confused, distressed, anxious too. Our spiritual well-being, like that of the child's emotional well-being, relies on that interaction with a God whose face actually does turn towards us, that is shining on us. It's not only a God who acknowledges us, but deeply engages with us and who gives us his, his face. And I think that's what we're looking for deep down, is it not? Uh, from others in our lives and ultimately from, from God. That there's not that distance, there's not that I'm in your presence and you're tolerating me, but we're actually wanting uh, that face turned towards us in, in love. And a lot of the guys um, that I work with at, at UGM and, and in other places um, a lot of friends, um, loads of people who have struggled uh, with identity, who have struggled with, with who they are, often have had that uh, hard experience of caregivers not caring for them. Of those who are meant to look after them actually doing them damage. Those who are supposed to be blessing them actually cursing them. And when that happens, something happens to us internally that, that, that shakes us, that doesn't believe that, that, that there could be a God who has a shining face towards us, who looks to, towards us with blessing and with grace. You see, the shining face of God represents an eternal, divine love that promises us unchanging love and perpetual engagement. He reassures us that we are seen, that we are loved, that he loves us. And so, this is not just a blessing, it's a profound truth about who he is, 
a deep engagement with us, a desire for us. That our Heavenly Father's face does not turn still, but shines brightly on us, reflecting the, the, the warmth of his eternal love for us. A few months ago, I was listening to a lecture that was at Regent College um, by a guy called Kurt Thompson. He's a psychologist, and he was um, talking about um, how psychology and attachment and interpersonal neural biology connect to Christianity. Um, I'm seeing some perplexed, perplexed faces, and that's okay. I didn't know what it was either. <laughs> There's something beautiful about the way that he, he spoke of um, how we are relational beings and that interpersonal nature of our neural uh, biology, right? That we are, we are uh, beings that, that, that relate and need that connection and attachment with others and indeed with God. And he describes it as this, we come out of the womb looking for someone looking for us. We come out of the womb looking for someone looking for us. And that's that still face, right? That's why when someone isn't looking for us, when suddenly they're disengaged, we are so scared, we're so unsure of what's going on. And I love how every time he talks about Jesus being the one who comes looking for us. He kind of just wells up a bit. He starts crying. His voice breaks. I've heard him on podcasts do it, and I've heard him when he was at Regent do it. There's something moving about knowing that God comes looking for us. We are born looking for someone looking for us. And, and even when it's so painful that our, our parents, our caregivers haven't given us that, and it's beyond painful, it's destructive, that Jesus Christ comes looking for us to bring us in, to bring us home. And perhaps that's what we need more than anything else, not just perhaps. It is what we need more than most. We're told by society that we just need to believe in ourselves. We just need to affirm ourselves. We just need to live up to like, what we think is right in our lives and we'll be fine. I think you and I know that that doesn't quite work. We crave validation for others, but we're told we shouldn't want that from other people, right? It's counterintuitive and, and often impractical. Let me give an illustration of this, um, illustrated in Bridget Jones's diary, which um, I've seen the original, but I haven't seen it since. I've read about this incident. I don't know why I had to defend that. I don't think there's anything wrong with <laughs> watching Bridget Jones. I just wanted you to know that, that I took this from somewhere else. It says a lot about me, doesn't it, I think. There's one place where Bridget uh, makes three notes to herself. They basically say, buy books by unreadable literary authors to put impressively on shelves, right? She's struggling with her identity. She wants approval from others. She's wondering where she's going to get that intimacy from. So she buys books and by unreadable literary authors to put impressively on shelves. Secondly, develop inner poise and authority and a sense of self as a woman complete, since that's the best way to obtain someone else. The third note says, be assured, receptive, responsive, woman of substance, knowing my sense of self comes not from what other people think, but from, from, myself. Wait, that can't be right. She realizes that she's wanting to get that from herself, but that, but that she can give that to herself. It just doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense intellectually, and it doesn't make sense experientially. This is a cycle of um, wanting validation from others, 
but not getting it, then exploiting others to get that validation and then exploiting others perhaps in return. We may try to convince ourselves of our worth, but it feels inauthentic. It doesn't feel right. We can't bless ourselves. And so what's the solution? It lies in seeking God's blessing as only that provides the genuine affirmation and acceptance that we yearn for. His face shines on us. His countenance is towards us. He loves us. And that's what it means to be blessed by God. The covenant people were Covenant people of God were, were told that every time they met the tabernacle, they were told, the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you. So that's God's blessing seen or uh, sensed by his people. They were to know that deep in their hearts. So number two, God's blessing seen in his people. Uh, preachers often struggle with the so what sometimes, right? We talk about the the information and want to give those concepts out, but um, we don't actually get to the so what. But thankfully, in this uh, psalm, there is a so what. The Lord bless you and be gracious to you, make his face shine on you. So what? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. You see, the blessing was not just for Israel to to be better, to finally get into the world's top 10 most affordable places to live in the world, to have higher GDP or something like that. They received a blessing and were to have that bless other people. As others would see them, how blessed they were, how much God's face shone on them, how much grace they received, somehow they would know God's ways. God's ways are trustworthy, they must be good. God's power to save. He's able to save them from from all that they've gone through and all that that they've been through. God is able to to save them. them. And that that was possible for all the other nations as they looked in on Israel. You see, this has always been the intention. God chose a person, Abraham, who became a people who were supposed to then bless all peoples. And so we've talked about that Aaronic blessing um, that Aaron was given Uh, to bless the people as they left um, the the, the tabernacle. But we also have an Abrahamic promise, right? God uh, gives Abraham a promise. He says to him um, in Genesis 12, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It was always the plan for God's people to be a blessing, to be a blessing to the nations around them. I think there's an echo in that promised Abraham in our passage. I think there's also three references to, to blessing and that the, the ends of the earth will be blessed, that all peoples will be blessed. Elsewhere, we're told that Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. And as that happened, as they were a light, verses 3 and 5 from Psalm 
67 happens. May the peoples praise you, O God. May the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. Notice the all's there. Not just some people, not just the cool people, not just uh, the people that are kind to us, but all peoples, all kinds of people will come. They were to be a light to the nations, a blessing to the nations. And what an all-engaging lighthouse Israel was supposed to be. What light on a mountain she was supposed to shine as she reflected God's shining face to all nations, to all peoples. It was to be a joyful kind of blessing. Gladness and blessing. Singing and blessing. The nations were glad. They would sing for joy. May all the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. And so mission for the the Israelite people, as they were to live out this calling, this blessing of the nations, was that they were to be characterized by justice. Right? In verse 4 it says, the nations are glad, they're singing for joy. Why? Because God, you rule the peoples with equity. You rule justly, God. And so that joy um, comes from believing that God is the one who can make things right who will bring righteousness and justice in the end, that he's going to just judge justly and he's going to put everything ultimately together again. And so we are to know that too, to pursue that in our lives, to, to find that to be something that characterizes us. We're not people who think we'll ju that justice will ever be brought into this world through some kind of political, military or economic program. We we know more about sinfulness and even our own hearts than that. But as a sign of a future kingdom, a sign that we know what God wants for this world and what God is able to accomplish in this world, we ourselves fight for justice. Fight against disease, poverty, wherever we can. Whenever we can. And that's part of our mission too. Secondly, they're to explore and share the truth, which is part of um, the mission that we are being sent out to do as well. They are to remember that God's ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all nations. And that means God's truth. We're to share that. We're to pass that on. We're to engage with people on those things. But to share um, God's love and his salvation. And to help people see that, that God um, guides the nations, that he, he shepherds uh, the nations with grace and with care. And so as we read this psalm, we hear the longing, don't we? This desire for the world to be changed and uh, the nations to come with gladness and joy and singing and praise. But then we wonder, well, how's that going? What's going on there? How is that come to be or, or, or not to be. As we read through the Bible, we, we see that there's a tension, don't we? Does Israel do this? Well, kind of. Almost. And maybe one point they, they did. When, do you remember when Solomon was, was, um, was reigning and he had... Um, 
gazillions of everything, right? Like um, whatever you're looking for, whether those are, are jewels or, or trees or, or spices, he just has so many of those things. And, and he's, he's ruling with, with wisdom and, and care and this kingdom of God on earth seems to be working. And the queen of Sheba comes and she goes, wow, your God is, is pretty amazing. I've heard about you, but, but now that I'm here, I'm seeing this, this is wonderful. And yet... Israel doesn't manage to, to shine like it should. Israel doesn't quite manage to um, have the nations look in and see God's blessing on them and, and on the nations. There's this tension that, that they're to um, be a light to the nations, a blessing to the nations, but um, only as they obey God's commands, as they continue to follow him, God will, will bless the nations through them. And there's always this tension. They keep not quite obeying but God seems to be gracious when they repent. They, they, they again, don't obey. And then God uh, says, obey me or, or, or something will happen. And that cycle keeps going. We read that in the Old Testament and we see that thread. That what's going to happen? Is God really going to bless the nations? There's that tension that's there. And so we come to the day of Pentecost where the Israelites would gather uh, in the pre and and gather in the previous year's harvest in a festival called the Feast of Weeks, because Pentecost means 50th. It was a chance to give God the first fruits of the harvest back to God. And what happens on that first uh, Pentecost here? We had read for us that uh, as that day came, a tongues of fire came, the Holy Spirit descended on them in tongues of fire and they began to speak in tongues and they were um, speaking to, to the Jews who were there from all different nations and they were telling them about the wonders of God and they were saying to themselves what is going on here? Are these people drunk? Uh, Peter then stands up raises his voice and addresses the crowd Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And so Pentecost here then is the beginning of a new stage in the history of God's people because it began the outworking of all nations and all people being brought in. It began the true fulfillment of all people, and it spans till now. We here are part of that fulfillment, are we not? Vancouver, Canada, in 2023, was because of what happened um, all those years ago. Yes, God's Blessing was to be sent, uh, sensed by all people, seen in God's people. But now God's blessing was being sent through God's people to all peoples and from all peoples to even more peoples. You see, to be God's uh, people was not primarily to be part of a nation or an ethnic group, but it was to receive and uh, know the blessing of God, the grace of God, the shining face of God. And how was that to be done? Through God's empowering presence of his Holy Spirit coming amongst us. Jesus has said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. All authority has been given to me, so go. I'll be with you till the end of the age. 
And then in Acts 1, he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This promise that we see, this longing in Psalm 67 is coming to fruition here. The ends of the earth are going to be touched by this blessing of God because of the Holy Spirit coming and bringing that life and that empowerment. And so this is one aspect of the Holy Spirit's work. And that's really all we're going to look at today. There's lots of that and we can spend many a a Sunday on that. But we, we are to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit is to give us um, a sign of, uh, of, of being witnesses to the world of Jesus' kingdom. What does witness mean? It means to see an event take place. It means to have knowledge from personal experience. And so what are we to witness? That Jesus' ways may indeed be known on earth. His salvation really is for all nations. That others would be glad and sing for joy because he rules with equity and justice and guides the nations of the earth. That through Jesus, God is gracious to us, that he blesses us and he makes his face shine upon us. And the Holy Spirit takes this and makes this real into our hearts and enables us to be witnesses, to be those who know this, who are able to say, I've experienced this, I've seen this. And then through that, the Holy Spirit sends us out to live and to work for his praise and his glory. You see, there's this principle I think in the Bible, that God never blesses us except that we might be a blessing to others. Right? That God doesn't bless us to kind of fill up our tank so we can kind of get on with our, our week, encounter hard stuff and just kind of get on with it. But God always blesses, God always brings intimacy in order to, to send us out in sacrificial service. Have a think of that when you read through the Bible and you see um, people calling out for, for God to, to show himself and to, to bring um, that intimacy and that... Uh, And that blessing, God sends them out shortly after. It's not for us just to kind of hoard it to ourselves. Blessing is a a kind of manna. The Israelites were given that blessing of manna, but they weren't to hoard it. They weren't to keep it for themselves for the next uh, week and store it in their tents, but they were to, to, to use it, to eat it, and trust that God would provide the next day. We are to do that with blessing too. We are to give it. We are to pass it on. We are to eat it. And, and live out of that and not to hoard it. And so we are sent out with a blessing. At the end of um, our services, we are sent out with a blessing. We are to be a blessing in order to bless others. Now, I realize that there are several transitions going on in the life of, of our church. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, Pentecost marks the beginning of ordinary time. Uh, according to the Anglican, according to the church calendar. We recognize that there are highs and lows of the church calendar. After going through Advent, Christmas tide, Epiphany, then Lent, Easter, Easter tide, we come to transition. It's a liminal moment. It is this in-between time where we recognize what's happened and what is yet to come. And so some people call it ordinary time. And it's not because um, it is unimportant and... Uh, an ordinary in a, a negative sense, but because the, the, what happens comes from the ordinal. But maybe that's where we got the word ordinary from. But it's not boring and it's not unimportant. Um, yes, um, it can be boring and unimportant if you let it. But might we allow the presence of the Spirit to transform us 
in the ordinary uh, so that we might be channels for the outpouring of God's blessing, grace, and shining face. Might we ask for him to show us what it means to to be sent out um, so that we can say, oh, thank God it's Monday. We're also in a liminal space as a church. We recognize that we are in an in-between time. What might it look like for us to be in a place that is assured of God's blessing, that seeks next steps in terms of looking for a a, a new uh, pastor, while at the same time being completely assured of that blessing. Not doing next steps out of fear or pressure, but out of praise, out of joy, out of blessing. So that's the church calendar. That's our church. And every Sunday this happens, doesn't it? We come to the end of our service and we are blessed and we are sent out. And this is a liminal moment at the end of of our service, a transition from what has gone on here and into the rest of life. But we're not dropped like an antelope into a a plane with, with hungry lions. We are sent out by the power of the Spirit. If we think of the Holy Spirit only as an impersonal power or influence, then our thought will constantly be, how can I get hold of it and use the Holy Spirit? Right? If we think of it as just some stuff, something impersonal, something just powerful and influential, then we will always think, how can I get hold of it and use it? We'll be too scared of the influence, perhaps, and actually stay a safe distance away. But if we think of the Holy Spirit as a divine person, as we're encouraged in the Bible to do, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought might become, how can the Holy Spirit get hold of and use me? How can the Holy Spirit grab hold of and and, and use me? So brothers and sisters, how might that look for us to be open to the Spirit's leading as, as you're sent from here, from this darkness that is underneath Robson Square, into Vancouver, into the various places that we live and that we work. Let me just suggest a couple of small emphases for you to mull over, okay? We're being invited as we are sent to be part of a divine plan, okay? Isn't it amazing that God's plan ultimately comes together? We're hearing of all these things in the Old Testament and how they kind of weave and, and how they kind of travel, but actually that plan comes together. He knows what he's doing. From the promise to Abraham, to the blessing from Aaron, to the longing of that Sam, to the coming of Jesus, to the provision of the Spirit, to the final day when we're told that we will all gather, praising God, all peoples, nations, tongues together, we're in the middle of a plan. He knows what he's doing. We celebrate the face of God, and the blessing of God, the grace of God, because Jesus Christ is the true blessing, that true face of God shining, and he's the true light of the nations. He takes on that curse. He takes on uh, that darkness. He loses the face of the Father so that we might always know the shining face. And we can never lose that now because we trust in him. We are those who are trusting in him. So know that there's a divine plan, but there's also a divine power. Uh, The change we long to see personally, globally, socially, need not be in your own strength, but in God's empowerment. He wants to do that in us. He's able to do that in us. And as you're sent, we can get to be part of this divine pleasure. Okay? God wants to bring deep blessing to this world. God knows that we need it. What would it look like for you to simply get to know and bless those around you? 
I think we think of mission uh, as really um, onerous and burdensome and scary, and it can be. But what if all we're called, being called to do is to know and to bless those around us? To know and bless those around us, to reflect the shining face of a God who actually loves them. Blessing might mean seeing and noticing the fruit in people's lives. It might be the gifts that they have that you encourage. It might be the sacrifices that they live. Right? Just noticing that in people's lives, the fruits, the gifts, the sacrifice, and blessing them with that, encouraging them with that. So be sent, St. Peter's Fireside, as we come to the end of this sermon, as we go through the service, as we receive, as we confess, as we are fed, and know that the blessing of God is what sends us out that we are invited into the world and not to prove ourselves, but with the blessing of a God whose face shines on us, who blesses us and who shows us his grace.